Hello, welcome to the Mullet Over podcast, because we have a name now. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Um, today we have a special guest, Daniel Dodd, friend of the ministry, friend of the family for a long time. Going to have a lot of fun conversations with him in just a bit. But first, I want my dad to um, remind everyone what we talked about last week and give the update. Yeah, it's been a remarkable couple of weeks. Uh, started just kind of in a low point where I, um, you know, we realized we have to sell um, Freedom Park and and uh, had some goals that we didn't see hit by the end of the year. And and uh, so I was I was crying out to the Lord started a fast. I was more desperate, more hungry than I could remember being. Uh, I, I was like, the, my very first fast, I was at a point of, I want all of God. I want more. I want more miracles, signs and wonders. And I was, I was kind of feeling that same level of desperation again. And, um, and you know, humbled before the God and, and everything. And so, but I had this amazing encounter with the Lord. I was, I was in Deland, Florida, helping uh, church that I just always felt incredibly connected to love um, and help them launch their fast. And, and I had two days in an Airbnb by myself and, and just God showed up, had a day that I was supposed to get ministry and, uh, and uh, was going to be um, uh, look forward to getting my heart healed. And instead, all they want to say is, we're hearing God say you're supposed to go to North Carolina. And I was like, I'm pretty disappointed in this ministry appointment and <laughs> where this is going. And these couple of ladies that I was looking forward to getting heart ministry are, are hearing God tell me I'm supposed to go to North Carolina. I'm like, it doesn't fit my schedule. doesn't fit my agenda. 48 hours later, I'm on the road to North Carolina. I've canceled a staff retreat and spent a week walking the land of my forefathers and just divine appointment after divine appointment, the, the first phone call I get is someone that can help me find those parcels of land. And they're sending me emails within 30 minutes. Second phone call is with a Briton. I'd found in our family history that, that there had been a rift between Mulls and Britons for two generations. Mulls married Britons. And 50-50 chance. If you're going to marry, you're going to marry. Mulls going to marry a Briton. And, um, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go repent to a Briton. And God wants to heal something that's a generational affected relationships. So second phone call, I talked to somebody in North Carolina that's going, no, you're going to stay with us. And I said, well, I've already lined up where I'm staying, but here's why I'm coming. And he's like, he's laughing at me. And I'm like, what are you laughing about? And he goes, I was ordained by Hilda Britton. She's a hundred years old. She's still in ministry, has a healing and deliverance ministry. I don't even have to explain what I'm doing. What are the chances you're going to go to a city and find someone with a specific last name? Yeah. And, uh, and then I connect with an African-American mall because the Lord had shown me, and it's, this struck me hard, that my forefathers were the largest human traffickers in that part of North Carolina. Wow. And I was like, and, and that curse has to be broken before I'm going to bless what I'm, the Lord's calling us to do it. But there was a wall. And, uh, and so did that, walked the land, had people giddy about, driving me around their land they were like excited to be a part of what was what i'm doing like i'm thinking i'm going to freak people out everybody's responding i'm, I'm in a business and ministry leaders meeting and they canceled the whole agenda and said when i all i do is introduce myself and tell them why i'm in town and they're like this is why we're gathered today i'm like 
this doesn't happen. You know, I never see that kind of stuff happen. But there's this sense of people all over the place. This is a God thing. And, and then the miracles began. As soon as I got back, we had $30,000 in checks in the mailbox, plus another $10,000 in gifts that came in over us that same weekend. When I'm driving back, um, we get an offer for the property for $800,000. And like, since then, I've had um, one of the guys, the guy that drove me around, uh, he, he called me, he goes, you're the first person I had to call a property his wife had said for 20 years, one day we're going to buy that land and we're going to build a house on it. 60 acres became available and it was that property and it's a whole cove on a lake. And, and they bought, put an offer on it, it was accepted and they're buying the 60 acres and they're like, part of it needs to be for a healing center here in North Carolina. And part of it, we're gonna make all of our money back and some part of it, we're gonna build a house. We'll be able to look at the mountains, look, you know, beyond the lake and all this. And I am just like, that's, I was, I was laying on my face, nose to the ground, asking the land to forgive me for what my forefathers did. Like I, I didn't, never read a book that said, do this. I'm like, why am I on the ground? Except that I, it was like compulsion. Like I'm supposed to repent of the land right now. I'm repenting of the sins of my forefathers and I'd feel the anointing. I'd feel the favor of God. And I told the God at the end of the week, I was like, Lord, if it's just this week and just what I got to experience and the divine appointment after divine appointments, I'm not even telling half the stories. Thank you. That was amazing. But I'll just be honest. I'll be disappointed if I don't start seeing some amazing breakthroughs. <laughs> so our last podcast, he, he shared the whole story of what happened that week and we said, we don't know what's going to happen next because it was the day after he got back. It was like right as he got back. And within 24 hours after shooting the podcast, $40,000 is given. They're under contract to sell Freedom Park. And, you know. What is next? What yeah. is next? Oh, and, and then Hilda Britton, 100 years old. I had heard um, through my friend that when he went and saw her last, she goes, she and her daughter were going, or who runs the ministry now, were like, this is why the Lord has kept you here this long was for this meeting and I'm like, holy cow. Like I had a sense like this is amazing divine, but they they had that same like sense like this is really significant. So wow. yeah. Still kind of like head spinning with some of that. So pretty crazy. So if you uh, are interested in more of the story, you have to listen to the first podcast uh, episode, which is online, which we haven't shared with anyone. So you're, if you're watching this, it means you probably we haven't even shared the first one. You have to go back and watch the first one. So you just got six minutes of the last, um, which was forty some minutes. Yeah, yeah, wasn't it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more detail. So now we're going to talk to Daniel Dodd, pastor. What do you, when people call you pastor? Do you how do you feel first fivefold ministry, all that kind of stuff? Do you feel like you fall into pastor? I feel like you're a pastor. You're a shepherd. Yeah, I, I feel I feel that I think a lot of times we treat those things like personality tests, like yeah. Enneagrams and all that stuff. But I, I don't I don't mean to sound like harsh. I just don't really care what I am. But I also I also value the gift yeah. of Jesus. Um, I know that I, I have a pastor's heart and I know I, I, I just know I love people. And so I like to just make that my foundation. So. Um, it does feel weird when people call you like a title, you know, like, especially when you've kind of lived, um, on two sides of letting your ego drive 
everything that you do and then trying to be humble mm -hmm. and trying to trying to just get down to authenticity you know on that on this side of authenticity when people call me titles and some people call me pastor and some people call me reverend you know somebody the other day called me reverend um i think they were catholic but or maybe they didn't even know but it just sometimes it feels kind of weird but i don't really care you know like i also have two names so like for the first 30 years of my life i went by cole which is my middle name okay and then after i my whole life changed when i was 30 i laid everything down um somebody gave me a word that he was calling me daniel which is my first name hmm. did that person know it was your first name there's debate about that. i don't i don't know i i i think he did but okay. there were times where he told me he didn't okay um so i don't maybe he just doesn't remember i don't know but subconscious yeah or the spirit of god yeah know. i know but is the other words he gave me like three words in in one and the other words were so so divine and i just took it for what it was i'm like all right well if the lord's calling me daniel that's what i'm gonna go by and then now i'm i'm kind of regretting even doing that because like i love my middle name it's such a unique cool name cole it's just a cool name <clears throat> but daniel's fine too <laughs> i don't care okay i yeah. didn't know you went by cole i've only ever yeah. known you as daniel so. yeah yeah sick i think i met you probably about uh, seven years ago six or seven years ago yeah and i was already going by daniel by then so yeah but anyway what was your first impression of us when you when you met our ministry and i think i was in such a broken place back then that i was reaching out i think i i think i met richard before i met you okay and i think one of my first things i think <clears throat> a mutual friend like connected me and richard and i i if I remember correctly and tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I took you out to lunch and I said, I need a spiritual father. Will you be my spiritual father? And I think that was like the first, maybe the first couple meetings I was, I was just crying out for, you know, it's a lot of context, a lot of backstory. So my, I'll make it real quick. My, in my twenties, I was in ministry, but desperate for approval and also, um, just felt worthless and i sought my my worth through inappropriate relationships and that led into adultery and at the age of 30 i just laid my life down and said you know i i'm i'm either going to kill myself or i'm going to ruin my 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 kids and mm -hmm. i don't want i don't really want either one of those yeah so i knew that uh, the only way i was going to come out of this um, and, and find out who I was built to be and find out the, the son that I was built to be, the man that I was built to be, the father, the husband, was if I just laid everything down, <clears throat> had a divine moment on July 22nd, 2014, where I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time. And he told me to tell my wife everything, to confess to my wife everything that I had hidden, that I, she had no idea. There was never even like suspicion. It was just, wow. yeah, I had, I had lived a double life. And I hated myself for what I was doing, and I didn't understand why I was doing it, didn't want to do it, and he told me to confess it. And so, like, nobody forced me, nobody held a gun to my head. And um, the the verse, 1 John 1, 9, is it 1, 9 or 4, 9? I think it's 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, mm -hmm. I wasn't worried about the forgiveness part. I'm like, yeah, he'll forgive me. Yeah. But it's that <laughs> cleansing of the unrighteousness, mm -hmm. like get this thing out of me i don't want i never wanted to do any of that this stuff and i didn't know why i was doing it so laid it all down and 
um, immediately resigned from my church, um, faced a lot of rejection. My wife heard the voice of the Lord. He told her, stay with me. Um, so after I confessed everything, she took a week to think about it. And she came back and said, the Lord told me to stay with you. I don't understand it, but I'm going to. And uh, we just built from there, like just broken, both of us. I mean, obviously she was just crushed by the confession, but I was just crushed by shame, rejection. Laying down your identity. Yeah. And, and, and the confusion that comes with that, because yeah. you lay that down, that's all you've ever known as your foundation. Now you're like, well, I just smashed that to bits and where do I start? Mm -hmm. And so... It was about a year ago or a year after that that I, I met you guys and when I when I met with Richard I'm like I need a father like my dad did not raise me I don't I don't have any spiritual fathers like I don't know how to do this thing I don't mm -hmm. know how to be a man I don't know how to be a man after God's own heart you know and so that's that's kind of the start so my first impression was just like like you guys seem to have a connection that I want and that I didn't have at the time. And I, I need guidance. I need, I need a mentor. I need, mm -hmm. I need help. And then I think when I met you, I met you at that uh, celebration. Okay. Cause so, I, so you had met him before you started coming to celebration. I think so. Okay. I think so. I believe cause you remember Caleb was Caleb hires was spending a lot of time when you guys are on the same time Yeah. and Caleb, Caleb and I were really close at the time. And he said, you need to go talk to Richard. Okay. And I think that's how that whole thing okay. connected. But then Caleb started going to celebration. So then I started going to celebration. And then uh, that's when I met you. And when I met you, I was like, man, I wish I could. Because I, I don't know how old are you. You're like, back then. You I'm, were... th I'm 13 now. So I was okay, like, great. A, so you were six like years seven. old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm 29. So I was 22, 20. Right. But in, in when I when I met you, you know, you weren't married. Mm -hmm. You you, 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 you were just like a kid to me in my vision, you know, you weren't a kid, but to me, like you didn't, <laughs> you didn't have the responsibilities that yeah. I had, you know, and I'm a little bit older than you, I think I'm about 10, 10 years older than you. And so I was like, man, I wish I could have been like this kid. Like if I had had a dad that mm. raised me mm. to show me the way I could have lived my life and been like this kid. Cause I saw you as like this holy, passionate Jesus lover. And I'm like, I wish I could have been that. You know, and so you're, this is a long answer, but to like my yeah. first impression was like regret mm. you know, and admiration, yeah, yeah, but also regret. Like, mm. man, why couldn't I? You know, and I've had this. I had this conversation. Did you know he was my son at that point? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but I, I think so. I think you know, for the first like three years of of that whole confession time or that the era of healing. That's, that's what I dealt with a lot was just looking back saying, well, why couldn't my life have been like this? And why couldn't I, this, mm. I mean, I was like very much like shifting blame and not taking, part of it was not taking responsibility for my own actions. But the other part was like, yeah, but why did I have to go through all this? Now on this, this end of it, I'm 30, I'll be 39 next week. Um, <clears throat> now I'm like, yeah, I had to go through all of that so that my legacy could heal so that my legacy could be victorious. And, and I see it now as like, I was, I was chosen in this lineage. Cause my every, I'm the only one in my family that's still married to my first wife, yeah. even though I almost botched that whole thing up, but I'm, I'm still married to my first wife. My kids are healthy. My, my, you know, emotionally, mentally we're, we're stable. And it's, we have the, we're the only ones with a shot of like 
repairing all the damage that's been done in the past, you know? And it's like, I was chosen and I was the one, I mean, we're all chosen, but I was the one that answered the call, yeah. you know? And so I see it more as like an honor and a glory to God kind of thing now. Yeah. Generations will be blessed. Amen. Yeah, I receive that. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so what I, you spent how many years out in Bethel? I was at Bethel for three and a half, I think. So we went out in 2017. What led out there? I'm guessing when this when you did your confession, you probably didn't even know who Bethel was. No, I didn't. No, I, and you grew what what church did you grow up in? What uh, denomination? None. <laughs> okay. So I I started non denominational. Yeah, no, non denominational. <laughs> um, I when I I mean when I was a kid raised by my mom, we were priesters. You know, go on Christmas and Easter, but that was it. We didn't, CEO. Christmas, Easter, and other. That's what we call them. We never had another. We oh, just, okay. I mean, maybe, maybe a funeral. <laughs> Christers. I yeah, like that. They're just Christers. And uh, my dad would. My dad was going to a Baptist church. Um, actually, it's right here in Central Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. Street. Yeah. He was going there for a little while, and and uh, so that was an occasional thing when I when I visit with him. Um, but I, so I got taken out of public school in my junior year because I was getting in too much trouble, and. I got put into a, a Baptist a Baptist school. It was a very legalistic Baptist school. And uh, then 9-11 happened in my senior year. The beginning of my senior year is when 9-11 wow. happened. And, you know, something about that shook everybody <laughs> yeah. to their to their spiritual roots, you know. And so for me then, my I'm, I was playing basketball, and my basketball coach gave his little you know, evangelism speech that he always gave, but this time it hit a little different, as the kids say. And <laughs> and I I remember driving home that night and just um, trying to get serious. Like I, I invited Christ into my heart, which as as much as what I understood. And um, that was when I started going to the Baptist church. Went to Baptist theological seminaries out of high school. I went to three different ones. Um, over the course of like four years, got my degree in theology because I wanted to be a pastor. And um, I think back then I wanted to preach because I liked the attention that preachers got, Yeah, you know, or at least like uh, pastor of church because I like the attention. Yeah, It's like that unwritten rule, you know, when you're hungry for approval. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. then, so there's a lot of pastors doing that job because of yeah. that. Yeah, and, and it's not Similar it's not really yeah. even it's not even to their detriment. Like it's not yeah. an indictment against them. It's I mean I didn't know I didn't know yeah. that's what I was doing. Yeah, I've I had convinced myself that that was the will of the Father, you know, mm. and that I'm called. We, there's so many different elements. I mean, there's the West narcissistic view that we have that we don't even realize we had where we have where we think everything's about us mm-hmm. and it's our story and I'm, even testimonies is about what God's doing in my life. Yeah. We just have this narcissistic yeah. spin on things that you don't see in the rest of the world. And so that influences it. And then you get somebody that, that doesn't know that they are a son of God or, or don't, doesn't even know what the being a part of the bride of Christ means in as terms of identity and value. And they're just desperate for approval, desperate for recognition. They will use the platform because subconsciously their brain says, you remember how good it felt when everybody applauded your sermon or, yeah. or retweeted you or shared your post? Yeah, go after that again because you need to feel valued. And so our brain just kind of subconsciously hijacks these things. It's really not our fault, you know. Um, but anyway, that was a long tangent. Um, so yeah, I was in the, the Baptist church. Um, 
up until 30. I, was, I pastored, I was a youth pastor, worship pastor, became a senior pastor of the Baptist church. All in the same church or you? No, I bounced climbed the ladder. It was mainly like four different church, three or three different churches. Okay. Yeah, I was, so you were young for a senior pastor. Yeah, I was 30. Well, I, I, I took my first pastorate as a youth pastor when I was 19 okay. and had a guy that really believed in me and despite my age and that's a big thing in the Baptist church, I think, at least what I experienced is that your age um, really either is a strike against you or a strike for you, you know, mm. but at 19, I was youth pastor and then I moved to another church and then uh, took a year off of ministry to pursue music, which is stupid. <laughs> and which what, is, what was your band? Uh, what was it called? We had a band called This New Heart and okay. um, yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a different attempt for me to get attention and mm -hmm. approval and I, I tried everything I could to make that thing happen just thinking that I was going to be a rock star in the name of Jesus somehow and uh, we, we we played some played some really cool big concerts but I mean and we got some radio play in, in I think Missouri <laughs> so we were, on, we were on the radio station oh and and Australia because I remember I did a I did a voiceover thing you know how, they, you know how you're listening to the radio and they're like Hey, this is Cole from This New Heart, and you're listening to K Rock Live or whatever. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I had to record one of those for a radio station in Australia, which that was pretty cool. Okay. I was like, I've made it. <laughs> I had not made it. <laughs> um, so then I went, I went back into ministry uh, as a worship pastor. And okay. That was the church that I ended up becoming the pastor. Um, so this is not your original question. We just went way off the rails, but. Um, 30 years old, I was pastoring this church, uh, this Baptist church in Plant City, Florida. And that's when I had this, I had been building up in me like this, this regret, this shame, this condemnation, self-condemnation. And uh, I was actually to the point where I was planning my suicide. Like, I, you know, you, you kind of teeter with the idea for a little bit. Like I could just kill myself. That's how it starts. Like I could just kill myself and that'll get me out of this. But you're past that. I was past the, I could, and I had gotten into the um, full swing of, here's how I need to do it. And I was terrified of doing it, thinking I probably will never do it, but here's how I'm going to do it. Mm. Can I interrupt? Yeah. So there are so many people who are even now hearing that voice. Mm. I believe it's a spirit. It's a, it's a demonic voice. At that point, it doesn't seem like there's any way out right. of the mix. Right. Um, on this side of it, um, what would you say to people that are in that place? There is no, no other answer. This is my only hope is taking my life because the walls are about to collapse on me. Well, <clears throat> I think it's a matter of, of back then I didn't know that the Lord was not looking at me with shameful eyes. Mm. So if I had thought that he was looking at me seeing as this is, I'm not disappointed in you, but I'm dis, I'm dis, I'm, I'm hurt by what's happening to you. If I had seen through that kind of lens, then I would have known that I could take refuge in him. But I think a lot of people, and I think where I was even then was that, I didn't feel like there was a way because I was looking at myself through this self-hatred lens that I thought God was seeing me through too. Sure. And so my lens was skewed. 
on this side, I've, I've had so much, so much revelation and breakthrough about identity and about my value in him and how much he actually values me that, that those kind of lies that I heard through that lens at the time seem just ridiculous now because it's not the heart and the character of the father. So I, I think to try to make that simple, I think that many people that are hearing that voice from the adversary, uh, one of the, his strategies is to convince you that the character of God is different than what you think. Yeah. And so if that's the foundation, I can get lies into your brain and in, in seeped into your heart because first I have to first show you that the character of God is not who he says he is. He is not who he says he is. You know, did God really say, are you really this? And so once they lay that, once he lays that foundation of distorting God's character in your eyes, then he can put a lie in there that you will match with the character and say, Oh yeah, well, of course God's not for me. Of course. Yeah. You know, so I, I heard somebody talk about the countenance of God. And it's like, I can quote all the verses that says, God loves me, God will forgive me. But I see the way my dad said he loved me and the mm -hmm. face on me. So he'd say he forgive me, but he'd be like, oh. And I, I always use the analogy that my dad, uh, when I would do something stupid, he'd be like, oh, I'm so, pr I'm so proud of my son. <laughs> you know, like it was kind of like a joke or whatever, but like that was what I like, I connected with like, it's almost like a way of like kind of discounting all those scriptures, all that different stuff is yeah. I can, his face can't really be happy. He can't really be pleased with me. Right. He can say, I love you. Just like my parents said, I love you when they, you know, spanked me or, you know, did whatever mm -hmm. they did. But yeah, we yeah. Re reframed it almost. It's a relational dynamic. We forget that all the time. Yeah. It's a, it, it's the spirit of adoption within us that cries out, Abba, Father, Dada, God, Daddy, God, you know, that's not, that's not a legalistic um, mandate of who, what we should call God, but it's a, it's a characteristic of his heart. I want to, I want to relate to you with an affectionate daddy, son, daddy to son heart kind of thing. I mm -hmm. want you to see my love for you like a dad's for a son. So <clears throat> on the, on the other side of this, you know, I didn't have that perspective at all. I had a perspective that, that God gave me an order and I failed that order tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so he turned his back on me. Contractual love. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it's a lens that we look through. Oh yeah. You know, I'll give you an example or an analogy. My my little my little cousin. I call him my little brother because we're really close. My little cousin. He was um, about seven years old. I think we're six years apart, and we were out playing with uh, BB guns. And he was he's right-handed, but he was l using his left eye to shoot through the the gun. And we said, Corey, why don't you use your right eye? You'll, you'll, you'll hit your targets better. And he said, well, I have to look through my good eye. And we're like, what are you talking about your good eye? He's, you know how everybody has one good eye and one bad eye? And we're like, nope. No, 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 no. That's not a thing, man. <laughs> and he's like, you mean to tell me none of y'all have a good eye and a bad eye? And we're like, got two good ones, man. You know. <laughs> so we went to his mom and uh, me and his older brother, we went to his mom and we said, hey, Corey's saying he's got a good eye and a bad eye. And so she's like, hmm have to get that checked out sure enough found out he's blind in one eye oh my goodness he's blind in his right eye and he didn't know it we didn't know it wow he thought that was normal his perspective was this is the human experience that everybody mm -hmm. has one good eye one bad eye it wasn't true but it felt true yeah. to him and this is the kind of thing that we grow up in our environments <clears throat> we grow up with our certain education we grow up in certain with with certain instruction from elders in our church or whatever you know that gives us a lens that we look at scripture, we look at God through, yeah. and we determine this is the character and the heart of God. And so mine was God's absent, 
God's waiting on me to do what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And I've really messed that up. So he's not going to help me kind of thing. And I, to answer your question about 10 years ago that you asked, because I feel like I just keep going on and on. Uh-huh. No, it's all good stuff. Um, you'll edit it out. Make my definitely make, make my stuff like like a minute. <laughs> um, to answer your question, like on that side, if I had known that my my the root of my perspective was was skewed, then I would have known that there was hope. But now I've seen the loving aspects of the Father. I've seen his 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 face, his countenance, like you talked about. You know. Mm-hmm. Like I see his warmth. I don't just see the fire of God. I see the warmth of God. Yeah. You know. That's good. You're leaving a legacy where you would have left a legacy mm-hmm. that would have been hard for your whole family to dig out of. Right. Now right. you can see it on their countenance. You can see it on your wife's countenance. Yeah, like sure. there's peace, there's joy, your family, your household. What you didn't see as possible. It I'll just speak as an outsider, you can see the fruit of what God's done in your life. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So what led you out to Bethel? Yeah. So we were, we spent about three years just healing, building trust after my confession, you know, crushed, crushed my wife. And we just spent time trying to find a community that would help us build back together. You know, I was going to therapy once a week, twice a week. And once with by myself and once with her and she was going with me and just going through like identity programs and understanding my identity and things. And, um, after three years, after two years, I felt like I had been introduced to Bethel and stuff. And I felt like this pull to go to Reading. And I think, I think a lot of it, it was, I wanted to get away from my hometown. Yeah, definitely. You wanted to, I wanted to leave the place where I, my name was mud, you know, lots of reminders too of everything yep. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, it was still pretty fresh. And so like I had, I had these extramarital relationships, um, that, you know, I, I had, I had changed my phone number, but, um, I, I was kind of scared that they were going to try to contact me again. Cause that's how it always started. They would contact me and, and it wasn't like I was going out looking for these relationships. It's just, they would seek me out. And I was so weak that I, just go after it too and so i um i want i think part of it was wanting to get away from all that um but i you know i'm still trying to figure out this whole hearing from god thing because it was all pretty new to this baptist preacher <laughs> and uh, i felt like i had this pull to go to reading and so i remember praying to god i'm like like i feel like you're you're calling me to to go to bethel to the school at bethel if that's true, you got to tell my wife because I'm not telling her. She's not. She's not going to want to go on some crazy adventure just because I had uh, you know, a thought in your head. Right. Exactly. And so I told I told my friend Caleb Caleb hires he and I got lunch and I told him I was like I feel like God's calling me to Bethel, and he's like well, that's awesome you should do it I'm like yeah I don't think I should <laughs> I don't think I don't think Nikki's going to be cool with that and uh, about. I would say about six months later, I kind of just buried it. And I just, I, I remember sitting at work and I'd go on like Google maps and I'd like track how long it would take me to go. And I'd like map out my whole way there, you know, just for fun. I'd look for houses out there and stuff, but I never said anything to Nikki. And then one, one night just out of nowhere, um, she was in the bathroom and we were both in the bathroom talking, getting ready for something. And she just stops what she's doing and she goes, Maybe we should go to Bethel. 
Ooh. And I'm like, what? Like, where's this coming from, you know? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe we should just go to Bethel. And you're like, all right, I have the, all the map. Right, exactly. It's all exactly. mapped out, and I got a house already. Got a down payment ready. I was like, I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> here's what we got to do. I've already mapped it out. And yeah, so we sold our house, and <clears throat> we moved out there. We put our kids in school out there. She found a job at a hospital out there. And that was pretty cool, too, because we just walked into the hospital, and she said, hey, I'd, I'd like to apply. And they said, well, let's do the interview right now. So they did the interview, and that night she got a call that she had the job. Wow. So, I mean, everything just happened so fast, you know. And um, I thought, I think, so my son, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in September of 2014. So my confession was July of 2014. And then my son gets hospitalized in September. Mm. I mean, I, it, the, 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 the progression of everything happened was, I should say the digression, but you know, I, I confessed one week later, I don't have a job. Then I, I go get a job at Sam's club in the produce department to just have something. And that was horrible <laughs> because I was seeing all these old people that hated me now. And then I got a job in sales, which I hated. And then, you know, my wife can't stand me. She doesn't even want to be in the house with me. She's hurt, obviously. And so I have no, nobody, I have nothing. Mm -hmm. And then my son gets diagnosed with type one diabetes and he's in the hospital for four days. And so it was just a nightmare of, of a summer. It was a war summer. And so back in the back of my mind, I'm like, I need to go to Bethel to learn how to heal my son. And so that mm. was kind of always in the back of my mind that uh, yeah. that's why God's calling me out there is because I'm going to heal my son. And it's crazy because while I was out there, there was a lot of things that happened, like the important things like healing of my wounds that, that shaped my identity and that made me pursue certain things in, for my value. There was healing that happened in my wife. Um, and then, and, and I'll talk about that too in a second because it's very important. But then there was, there was, I would go on these trips. And so I, with Bethel teams, I went to Lebanon, Jordan, I went to Kenya, I went to Amsterdam. I, I even went with Bill Johnson on his team to uh, Pennsylvania to do um, the Voice of the Apostles conference that he does with Randy Clark. I was out there on his prayer team. There's like seven of us on his team. Um, got to do all these trips. Got to see amazing healings. I saw I saw arms heal. I saw a paralyzed boy in Lebanon get up and walk. Mm. I saw crazy things happen. And my son still is not healed, you know, yeah. to this day, he still is not healed. And I'm still petitioning for that, still pressing into that. I learned a lot of great lessons through that. But anyway, I think in the back of my mind, that was kind of my expectation. But it just, I don't think, I think I'm learning that that's never how God operates. It's like, yeah, that's fine. You can think that that's going to happen, but there's some better stuff that's going to happen to you. <coughs> and so, yeah, we went out in 2017. Um, I went, I did two years at the school and traveled all over the place with them. My wife decided to do uh, two years, but she did first year and then COVID happened. And then second year, she started her second year. And then she started um, having intense migraines she started losing her vision. She started having memory loss. She started having uh, cognitive seizures, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's like, you know, instead of like a physical grand mal seizure, it's uh, it's like you get stuck on a, a word. And so she would get stuck on a word, almost like she was having a stroke. And she would be looking right at you. And in her head, she's screaming something. But the only thing that can come out is, I love you. I love you. 
I love you. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to say what's in her head, but only thing that comes out is I love you, I love you. And so these kind of weird things were happening. She got an MRI done and we found a softball sized tumor in her brain. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in Reading, I don't know if you know anything about Reading, but there's nothing up there. Like just pot farms and Bethel Church. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, maybe some breweries or something, but you have no- nothing there. And all the doctors really could just go to San Francisco and Sacramento. And so I had no option. I packed everybody up and I, I put them on a, a plane and then I packed up everything in the house and, and drove back across the, the country, moved back to Florida so we could have um, proper health care. And January of 21, she had it removed and she's made a full recovery. So that's the that's the, the short end of the version, the short version of would, the story. Would you have ever left Bethel if it wasn't for that? I don't think so. Really? I yeah, I don't think so. I. I was very comfortable there. There's no traffic. That's probably the best thing. There's. Ne- I was never in a traffic jam the whole three years, three and a half years we were there. Um, I love the mountains. I love everybody's super nice there. Good, good weather. Yeah, the weather. Well, it's 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 a different kind of heat. You know, like oh, yeah. the summers get to be like 117 degrees outside, and the winters are like in the 20s. So it's oh, okay, never mind. Pretty well. It's it's not it's not like Florida. So Florida's like you're in an oven. If it's like 80 degrees, it, you can feel it. Out there, you could be in 110, 108 maybe. And if you stand in the shade, you're fine. You, you don't feel the heat. Really? Because it's like Florida's like an oven. Right in California, is like an intense light. But if you get in the shade, you're fine. Okay. And the water is always ice cold on the Sacramento River. I got another question. Um, and, and if you don't feel comfortable sharing this, but you started talking about high school and the school you went to. Yeah. And I remember you came and you'd heard a little bit about our broken soul ministry. And you're like, I want to learn more about this. I got yeah. some family members that need this. Do you want to share anything about that? Cause that kind of brought me back to that moment. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah, that was a cool, I, I remember doing a session where I can't remember exactly what the wound or the, the thing that got broken off of me was, but I remember doing this session where this anger just came out of me um, towards towards I think was it religious people yeah because I was in a very legalistic school mm-hmm. and I think this anger came out of me about I can't remember what we were talking about but I remember it's like I felt like this was like 10 years 15 years after high school and I felt like I, I had just left my lockers you know like I can remember how the locker felt, what the smell of the hallway was. I was just like taken back by this memory. And I can remember all my teachers' names and faces. It was just, just so, it was like a, it was like an unlocked chamber in my brain, in my memory. It was crazy. And I remember, you know, we, we, went, we went through this process of, of like the Holy Spirit healing kind of thing. It was beautiful. When I left there, I had dropped, to go to this session at your house, I had dropped my kids off at my mom's house right and she lives in plant city but she she doesn't live in the house that i grew up in when i or that we lived in when i was a teenager when i was in high school and so i was leaving there and i called my wife and i'm talking to my wife about yeah we were going through this session and everything i'm driving to go pick up my kids and before i know it i'm pulling up to my the house that we that i was in when we were in high school or that we were in when i was in high school and i'm like I was like, Nikki, I gotta let you go. I don't know why I'm here at this old house. <laughs> but it was just like I had been taken back in that in that era so so deep that it was like 
it was crazy. But yeah, yeah, that was that was a very interesting session. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That was fun. I I remember talking to your the sixteen year old Daniel yeah, yeah. or Cole. Yeah, it was Cole. Yeah, and uh, and uh, he he even he wasn't thrilled with Jesus. I didn't like the church people. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they they seemed phony and fake and judgmental yeah. and yeah. yeah yeah. And I I was I remember taking it out on you. And I remember in the middle of the session telling you like Richard, I'm sorry, I don't know where this is coming yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> like I love you, you know that right? You yeah, know, I love you. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you go to Bethel, you come back because of everything going on. How is Nikki now? Nikki's great. She's she's amazing. So I, I would show you pictures. I think I've shown you the picture of the yeah. tumor. Her brain. They said it was growing in there for twenty years. Mm. So her brain like grew around this yeah. tumor, and she still has this dip. They did this surgery in January of twenty twenty one. Was it a soft tumor or a hard tumor? I don't know. What's the difference? No, when they suck out, when they scrape out. Well, so I don't know, but I'll tell you this much that the, the neurosurgeon, he was at one of the best hospitals here in Florida. He said that when he cut, he cut the skull off and I don't know, hope this isn't too graphic, but you know, that, that bag that holds your brain, it's called the dura. It's like this membrane that goes around your, your brain. Um, when he cut that dura to get the tumor, the tumor, the pressure was so intense, it pushed itself out. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know, is that a soft tumor? I so, have no idea. So they just took the whole tumor out yeah. in one big chunk. Yeah, so it, it, there was one piece, you know, like it's, it was a benign tumor, so it was just a ball. Yeah. And it had not, malignant tumors kind of have like fingers that go into mm -hmm. the brain, you know? But a benign tumor is just like a. It's a rock. It's a yeah. It's a circular. Did you get to mass. keep it? No, he he didn't even take a picture of it. I wanted to see it. I thought that was customary. Like I was you expecting. Get to take it home and fossilize it or something. No, or I would have put it in the in the burn pit. I would put it in oh, the bonfire. Okay. Like I would have watched this thing burn. Like you know. But I thought it was like customary. Like hey, we took it out. You want to see it? Like yeah. That was my expectation. And I'm like, how come nobody's offered to show me this thing? And so I asked the doctor. I was like, did you? Do you still have it? He's like, oh no, we've discarded it. I'm like, did you take a picture? And he's like, no, sorry, we forgot to take a picture. I'm like, how do you forget to take a picture? Yeah, for like, real. This is huge to That's us. That's like I'm a sorry. life changing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know this is Tuesday for you, but yeah, exactly. Like, it's important to us. And so, she she had surgery. She you know she had a little bit of a, a it was a really really fast recovery. Really, um, she's got a little bit of a scar that you can see in her her hairline, but kind of makes like a cross with her part. So it's beautiful. And she, she struggled for a little bit with words and she still kind of struggles with words and memories every once in a while. Like we moved into this house when we moved back to plant city and this was after the surgery. It was about seven months after the surgery and the house had these green lights on the outside, like, like neon green lights in a place where amber lights should be like on the street lights, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I took them out and I replaced them with warm amber lights just because the green just wasn't working. And we were talking to somebody about a couple months later and she was like, yeah, when we first moved in the house, they had these purple lights outside and my daughter was right next to me and she goes, mama, they were green. And she goes, no, no, they were purple. I remember. And I said, honey, they were green. Um, I promise you they were green. She was like, no, I remember they were purple. And she's like adamant that they were purple. And we're like, okay, sorry to tell you this. It was green, <laughs> but 
but we'll let you think they were purple. And so little things like that. You just scared a lot of people that now think that I have a 20-year-old softball-sized tumor in the no. room for and stuff like that. And no, no. Every married couple who, who fights about the color of something. I knew it. She got a tumor. We, we had this blanket here that, that we would test people. What color do you see? And it was either green or gray, I think, if I remember. Or was it purple I, or gray? And it was weird. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, I'll bet money. I actually bought a pair of pants on eBay, like yeah. used a real nice pair. And they sold them as khaki. Yeah. And they showed up green and they're and I was like, I actually like these pants, but they're well, not the right color. And they're like, Yes, they were. Definitely khaki. Pretty this, crazy. Yeah. I actually <laughs> downloaded an app so I could prove that oh these my were goodness. So <laughs> but I, I kept the pants because I like them, but <laughs> Do you remember when that picture was going yeah, around? The dress. Was it a dress? Yeah, it was a yeah. dress. Yeah. There was a black or blue? Shoes. Was it black no, or blue? No, it was gold. Gold or blue. Yeah. Okay. It was, you either saw gold and white or you saw blue and black. Yeah. I remember like the first like 20 times I saw it, I saw it blue and black. And then one time I saw it white and gold and I was like, and you couldn't see it. I was like, way. no, that doesn't like, this has got to be a different picture. Yeah. Like this, this is, this can't be the same thing. And it like, no, I never saw black. I always saw uh, white and gold, gold and white. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out what, like, how someone would see yeah, it differently. Yeah. Yeah. That was the craziest thing. And there was another one with some shoes and same, same yeah, colors. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. So you're, you're back here. What's next for Daniel? That's a good question. I guess I'm just waiting <laughs> to see that unfold too. Well, well, you just started something. Yeah. Oh, that you want me to talk about? <laughs> yeah. So I'm one, I'm one of your first 20 students. Yes, you are. I have a lifetime subscription. Did you them. Did you watch the live prayer on Thursday? I rewatched most of it. Me and Sasha rewatched most. Did you get to your your word? No. See, I didn't watch See? it that far. I actually had a word for you. Oh, ah, shoot. Wasn't really See, now I feel now I'm embarrassed. No, it wasn't really a word. It was just praying for your your move. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I so when we first got back. I, you know, I want to pastor people. That's, that's my heart. Um, whereas in my twenties, I wanted to be a pastor, you know, there's a big difference. The label, the name, right, the... right. You want the title, the recognition, the, the approval mm -hmm. and the platform. Yeah. And, and I'm at a place in my life because of all the healing then of, of my emotional wounds and my identity and where I get my value from. Um, I've had like a spiritual mm -hmm. awakening and seen like a death of my ego kind of thing to where I don't, I don't operate for those things. And it makes me, it enables me to operate in a pure place. And so in that pure place, I just want to pass through people. I want to love people. I want to build people. And so coming back to Florida, we're like, okay, we're going to get this tumor things situated and then we're going to plant a church. And we were both in agreement that that's what, that's what we wanted to do. And so we started, we started pastor or well, we started planting this church building a team i had a bunch of people from bethel come out move out here to be a part of that team and we were just getting like roadblocks left and right just different things different things one of the main things was i felt like in in this in this is going to sound super crazy but in the spiritual realm there is a there's clearly an assignment over this area and, yeah. and it has to deal what I believe I, I what I sense is that it has to do with approval. I'm not good enough kind of thing. And ministry platforms especially are utilized in people trying to find their approval. 
And so when that's, when that's your identity, if someone else comes along, you could feel threatened by that. And I have a lot of friends that are pastors. I have a lot of friends that have ministries, you know, and I didn't feel this from you guys, but, but I felt like there was like tension for me wanting to start a church. Like I want to plant a church, but all of a sudden I feel there's tension in our relationships. And this was with multiple people that I know. You're now a competitor. Yeah. And it was like all of a sudden, instead of being brothers and sisters in the body, building the kingdom, expanding the kingdom in an area, I feel like now we're in competition and it's my flavor of Jesus versus your flavor of Jesus. And I, I felt, I mean, it was probably, it was probably mostly me that felt this, you know, I don't know if they really felt this. No, it's, it's pretty strong. Yeah. You sensed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I had one pastor when we were going to start, um, he was like, and I love you and I believe in you, but if you're successful right off the bat, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, it'll destroy me. And I was like, could not fathom that thought pattern right, even. Right. And, uh, and, and one of the things I was, I'm pretty connected with Arthur Burke and I was asking him cause I'm doing spiritual mapping of the city. We're going to do a tour sometime soon. Cool. But, um, but I, so I was like going, I want, he's like a guru in this area. So I was asking some of his feedback and he said, this is, uh, um, the redemptive gift of Tampa is a teacher city. He goes like Jerusalem. And so he goes, he goes, Jesus had some of the harshest words to say about Jerusalem. They killed the prophets. It was, and it was, Mm -hmm. and, and they, the religious spirit is so strong. It sets itself up as the legitimizer. So you had the, all the pharisaical leaders questioning Jesus's legitimacy. And, and it was so strong in that city. And, and, uh, and when he was saying that, it was just like, I was like, how many times have you been to Tampa? Like, how do you know the, and and he was like, it just took me 15 minutes on Wicipedia to tell you this. And I was like, explain this to me. And, and he was like, it's the, the aspects that make Tampa what Tampa is. And I'm like, I can't wait to unveil what needs to be unveiled because the, the intercessors need to tackle this yeah. stronghold in the city. And I'll, I'll tell you when I noticed that, when I, when I picked up on this, was being in Reading, I learned a lot about um, navigating spiritual atmospheres. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, learning how to, like when you're in a coffee shop and all of a sudden a random thought comes in your head and you're like, you know, I, I don't, I feel like I'm ugly or I feel, I feel like maybe people are staring at me. If, if my identity is orphaned, then I'm going to, I'm going to internalize that. But if, if my identity and value is secure in the Lord, now I know that I'm picking up on a spiritual broadcast and I can look around the room easily and find someone else who's picking up on that broadcast. And now I can give them a word about their, their identity and their value Mm. that is not related to their image. Like, Mm. like, Hey, I just, you know, I feel like the Lord wants to tell you, you know, you, you don't have to have a mandate or a word. From the Lord, you just act like the Lord wants to tell you that you're beautiful, mm. and and He cherishes you as His daughter or whatever, mm. you know. And it, I didn't hear, "Hey, go tell that 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 kid, that girl that she's beautiful because she thinks she's ugly." But I felt an internal thing, and that said, "I'm I'm ugly, or yeah. I'm this, or I'm that." And now I can go, I I can realize that that's that's not from the Father. I'm picking something up on my spiritual antenna, like, and I can I can actually use that against Him. The enemy. So I, I got to, re- I got really good at this in Reading, the help of the teachers and people that were there. And um, 
Reading's a crazy community because it's just a it's just a mix of all these different spiritual things. And there's a lot of things you're like, yeah, that's not about. But then there's some <laughs> things there's some things you're like, oh, I just I never realized that, you know. And so when I this is when I noticed it in, about Tampa when I would fly back once a year to come here for summer. I would spend all summer here. Well, I spent a month here every summer. And the first time I flew back, I was feeling great. We were having a great time. As soon as our plane came through the clouds, I started feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. I started feeling like my old way. Like, man, I don't, you know, I'm going back to where people reject me. I'm going back to where people hate me. I hope I don't see anybody in the grocery stores. You know, I started thinking all these thoughts. Wow. And then I flew back and everything was back to normal. And I'm enjoying life, loving life, loving the weather, blah, blah, blah. So then... I had my, my grandfather passed away in 2018, I believe, or 19, 2019. So I flew back for his funeral and I felt that again. I was by myself and I felt that again, like, man. And then I thought, wait a minute, why is it only when I come through the clouds here, you know? And so then we came back that summer and I felt it and I was expecting it this time. And I felt it as soon as we hit the, the clouds. Every single time I come, I came through the clouds in the plane, I felt this thing that I'm not good enough, that I need someone to tell me I matter. I need someone to tell me I'm worthy. I need someone to tell me that they value me and I need to find a way to go get that, you know? And that's when I picked it up, picked up on it. And so then moving here, I, I start seeing like, I start my, I feel like in, in a pure, the purest heart that I could have, I want to pastor people and I, I want to pastor a church. I think that's the only medium, right? And I start feeling this tension from everybody, like almost like everybody starts pulling away from me, you know, like I feel like this pulling away of me or I, or, you know, people will say like, man, I want to, I want to pour gas on your, on your fire. But then they kind of like, it feels like they kind of lock me in a closet, you know, like it doesn't feel like I have support. And it feels like if I continue to try to make this thing happen, it's only going to cause division and it's going to cause a hindrance in our relationship. And so I, I just, with all the other roadblocks, that was one of the main roadblocks, but all the other roadblocks, I just said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to, this is not going to promote the kingdom. This is, this is, this is just going to be in, in a lot of people's view, my kingdom against their kingdom. And I'm not about that. So I just pulled away from the whole idea of pastoring a church, but I still have this thing in me that I want to pastor people. And so, um, I started looking up different things about what would a digital church look like? And so I, I, I wanted to create a space that would have a community for people as well as a coaching mentorship aspect to it, as well as courses. Uh, I like to alliterate everything. So it's community coaching and courses, you know? So I wanted to create this space and I'm still trying to figure out what it's going to look like, but I want to create this space for uh, a digital church feeling where we have community together. We feel valued for who we are, not for what we believe or what we do. Um, We have a a mentorship coaching style where people are available to walk through your struggles with you. Um, And then we have uh, like courses that, teach you not what you're supposed to believe or what you're supposed to think, but how to think, how to read your Bible. Like that's, what's important. I don't want to tell you what you're supposed to believe about the Bible Yeah. as a pastor. I I said this, we had an event last Saturday and I said this, like as a pastor, my heart for my people, if I was your pastor, 
my heart is that I don't want to tell you what you're supposed to believe. Right. Because then I get into the place of the Holy Spirit and I remove the Holy Spirit and I sit there and I say, I'll listen to God and I'll tell you what you're supposed to believe. Yeah. And I'm not about that. I, my job as a pastor, the way I see it, is to corral, like a shepherd corrals the sheep into the corral. My job is to keep you corralled into the Father's heart and walk with you on your journey of revelation and process in relationship with Him. I don't want to be the liaison between God and, and you. I want, I want to foster that relationship better and empower that relationship better. So how do I do that with teaching? I want to teach people not what to think, but how to think. Teach them how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible how to apply certain perspectives of the West versus the East and the mindsets. I'll give you all the tools and I'll walk with you through this of understanding the Bible. I'm also going to walk with you through removing these lenses that you've applied from theology, from your environment, your culture, whatever. So I'm, I want to put that all in one place. And so what I have right now, I have something called the Kingdom Collective. It's KNGDM, which is a whole nother long story how I got that acronym time for <laughs> but uh it's the kingdom collective and we have the the community aspect through a facebook group we have the coaching aspect through that same group um, we're doing monthly monthly i mean a weekly live calls and every monday at 4 p.m we do a live call every thursday right now we're doing prayer at five but i don't know if that's going to continue yet um, especially since Andrew didn't watch it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, no, I'm just kidding. If I'm going to have you on a podcast, I have to watch it. Right? I have to do that. <laughs> you before go back I, and watch you it. Know. No, I don't care. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know how that's going to look, but um, we're, I have it. I have 20 students in there in that group uh, right now, and they're, they're just kind of helping us build this thing and what it's going to look like. And uh, it's going to be a membership thing. So rather than a, if, you know, a digital church, digital church has a tithe. Well, this is going to have a subscription. So <laughs> you guys can, you guys can pay, you know, it's like a $20 subscription that's going to be for a group I'm trying to keep it affordable. If you're going to, it's like wrapping up a church and a school all in one. And, uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be really awesome. My wife really believes in it too. She keep she keeps talking to me about it, thinking, saying she thinks it's going to be huge. That's and, awesome. Yeah. I got her cool. support for the first time ever. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. That's yeah. cool. So that's the, that's you the sound, thing. sound like just like my dad, the way he talks about like, you know, we're doing, you know, Light Force University and like every time he talks about it, he's like, I don't want to tell you what to think. You know, yeah. what I hear from both of you is you both want to deconstruct yeah. the, you know, pastorisms, religiosity, you know, interpretation, all that stuff, and then equip them how to construct it themselves with yeah. God. Yeah. And I, I'll just jump in like the word deconstruct as a word that I really hate because okay. of what it means with so many people yeah. uh, but but uh, but yeah but someone said said you know i'm going through this deconstruction like you are and i was like what do you mean by that because most of what i see is destruction mm. with no foundation nothing to build from mm. and they're rejecting stuff that's worth rejecting but they don't have anything to land on mm. and that's where for me, I'm like going. It, you need uh, that fathering. It was while it, you're going through that, and, and it was a reconstructing. It was it was being able to set aside what you think you know, but having a foundation to build from. And yeah. for me, that was God's word. It was learning to know God's voice and obedience to God. Yeah. Like sometimes God tells you to move in a direction, you're like. That doesn't line up with my flesh. That doesn't line up with my 
you know, belief system, but yes, Lord. And, and so it's like, then you're constructing something that's worth while. That's solid. I see so many people that yeah. it's, it's the destruction. Well, I think it, it, a lot of it's, it's birthed out of bitterness. A lot of it is like hurt. Yeah. A lot of it's like, it's easier to just walk away from everything yeah. and feel okay about what I was originally struggling with and my temptations and stuff like that. But I, I'm with you that there's a healthy, there's a healthy reconfiguring, you know, that's what every reformation was. Every reformation was, Hey, there's some things that we probably shouldn't believe and we should maybe question them and it's okay to question. And we've gotten to a time where it's not okay to question. So we're going to start questioning things and they call it a rebellion and then they call it a reformation. You know, that's how it always starts. And, but the, 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 the ones that are throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that's, that's, that's the hurt. That's the, the bitterness. I know that term deconstruction kind of became, you know, if something becomes trendy, you know, or, okay. or, or, you know, whatever people can kind of throw it on anything else and be like, well, don't, you know, this is what everyone's going, this is what everyone's doing. And, yeah. you know, over, you kind of said over swing, destroy everything. Yeah. And just yeah. at the same time, I was, I was having a conversation with a, a spiritual leader in the area and we were in a room full of pastors and I was going, what you're saying doesn't line up with scripture. You can't give a verse for that. And they said, but Richard, everybody in the room, in this room would agree with me. And I was like, well, then that must settle it. Right. <laughs> I'm like going to me. It was, it was setting that aside. I don't care what everybody thinks. Yeah. I, I, that doesn't to me prove that it's biblical. But that brings up another important thing, I think, too, is because so coming from the legalistic Baptist upbringing that I call it an upbringing in my 20s, there is something that's really real called bibliolatry. You know, it's where we worship the Bible and we believe that God doesn't speak outside of the Bible of what he already said. Yeah. You know, and and in that worship, it's like we can't question anything that's in the Bible and trying even trying to understand the Bible. So I think. What I always tell people and tell people, you know, that are that will actually listen to me is is we have to balance in 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 how we hear God's voice. We have to balance between his spoken word and his written word. We've got the logos, which is his written word, and we have the rhema, which is his spoken word. If we were all written word, if we were all logos, we will become legalistic and objective. Mm -hmm. If we're all rhema and we're all spoken word, we can become very subjective. And that's how cults are started. And that's how what your buddy was saying, basically, that he, I don't need the Bible to prove it because all these people agree with me. That's very subjective. It's yeah. very subjective. And you may have a word from the Lord, but back it up and balance it with the, with the written word as well. Yeah. You have to have a balance. That's why we have both. Yeah. But we can't, yeah, but we can't get stuck on what God said and disregard what he's saying. And we can't disregard what he said with what he's saying. We have to balance it. You know? mm -hmm. That's a good word. Yeah, man. That's a good word. So... What's so you're starting this kingdom collective? Nikki's on board. You have a website? Not yet. Um, I have a URL for you. What's that? I have a URL for you to help me out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I appreciate Pil that. Pillow Pentecostal. Pillow Pentecostal. I think that's the best URL for a church possible. If I were to start an online oh, church, I thought you meant like you have like somebody will help me build a site. Oh no, like, no, I just want to name it. No, <laughs> I'll help you build the site, but no, yeah, that's. That's what I would do. No, actually, I've been on I've been on calls all week <laughs> with uh, different like website hosting and and 
different things because I'd like to make it all one-stop shop with an app. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I've been talking to different uh, app developers. Uh, that's not cheap. No, it's, well, I found one that's actually pretty good. It's like a subscription. So you pay them like a hundred bucks a month kind of thing. And, and you can do courses and open forms and stuff. So I'm trying to find out, Okay. but I'm trying to find out if. So you're not building a custom app. You're taking like a builder, <laughs> some kind of. Yeah. It's kind of like an a la carte thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they have like a, a hosting, like a database, a dashboard that you okay. build it out of and, and you pay, I think it's 97 to be exact. You pay $97 a month. And you can design your app how you want it. You can design your sales page, your landing page. It's designed for coaches. Is what okay, it is. that's cool. Like life coaches and stuff. Yeah, but I think we could we could utilize that and and make that for the Kingdom Collective. So that's awesome. Yeah, I've got some guests lined up for our uh, Monday live calls. We've got it's almost like a podcast like this. So yeah. I'd love to have you guys out there. Not out there, but you can still digital. do it with a window behind you the next time. Maybe yes. I, I don't think it should be I behind help. you. I need help. You should see my office. Yeah, my office. I every time I clean my office up, I go back in there, and my wife has no storage. <laughs> storage again. Well, put the window on the other side. You look out the window. Just otherwise. you won't be able to hear me then if the camera's outside. No, no, put I'm that camera kidding. outside. Oh my goodness! <laughs> never mind. Never mind. That's my one. <laughs> That's my one. Yeah. No, I I mean I have I have great vision of turning that office into something great. I just haven't had a great time yeah. to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you wanna guys wanna close in prayer? Sounds great. You wanna pray? Lord, we just first of all just wanna lift up Daniel and Lord this new direction in his life. And Lord, as you have fathered him and and discipled him and brought him, Lord, to so amazing spiritual fathers over the years, God, that have poured into him. And now, Lord, he is in that place of life, Lord, where it's time to begin to father. Um, and and even at a deeper level than the pastoring that he's done in the past. I pray, Father God, for fresh oil, fresh fire. I pray, Lord, for um, continued refining, Lord, of of. Lord, those things that that you want to instill in others. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, for continued blessings over their household, their family, their children. And God, I pray uh, for for those that watch this, that, Lord, pastors that are hiding stuff themselves, Lord, Mm -hmm. and, and on the verge of what do I do? God, I pray that they would find hope. Lord, those that are contemplating suicide, Lord, that they would find hope. Um, I pray, Father God, for those that are, um, Lord, just on a journey going, why am I hitting so many walls, Lord? And and there's curses. There's generational curses on their lives, Lord. I pray, Father God, for greater and greater revelation, how to break free of those generational curses and walk in the fullness of their identity, of their destiny, of their calling. I pray for, uh, Lord, this message to land with those people that need to hear this on today's show, God, that it would impact their lives and wherever they are in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, I got two last questions for you. Okay. For for everyone, how are you now not uh, feeling the performance mindset as you're launching the Kingdom Collective? Like how... How do you balance that? How do you fight that? Or is it something that with your identity change that it's just not there? I think it's just not there. I, I, it was a long process 
it's been it's been about eight. It took about eight years of going through rejection and teaching myself discipline, teaching myself to take responsibility for my actions, um, getting to the point where I'm now and then went into rejection. Uh, or I said rejection first, right? So dealing with the rejection, then moving into more rejection. So you have like rejection for your past, and then I had to deal with rejection for my present. Mm. Like not hiding from rejection. Right. Yeah. And so like coming back to Florida, it was I f I almost felt like maybe like I had a little bit of a sense of entitlement to and and expected people to want me to be with them, you know? Um, to know what I carry, you know. He's, he's Daniel Dodd, he's so talented, whatever. And I, I, I kind of had this expectation that didn't happen. And so I had to deal with that as a form of rejection too. And I think it just got to the point where when I started questioning, why is nothing happening? Why is nothing going my way? And I realized, oh, it's because I'm putting my way first. Mm -hmm. And so I had this death of my ego kind of thing. I had this like a spiritual, I think that's the core of spiritual awakening is the death of your ego. When you no longer need approval, recognition, all those things that your brain thinks it needs to survive, it removes you from the, the fear-based lens of all of that. And you see how petty all that stuff is. And all you care about is the abundant love and purity of Jesus yeah. Christ. That's all I really care about. So I'm at a point now where I just love people more than I love myself. Mm. I still love myself, but I love people more. And I don't want to sacrifice any relationships or any people so that I could elevate myself. The, um, I had two friends the same week, probably like back in November time frame ago. And I'm reading this book. You need to read this. And it was Humility by Andrew Murray. And I'm like going, what are you saying, man? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what are you saying, God? And uh, so I'm, I'm reading the book. And it is, it, it is you know, an attacks that in yeah. me and I'm like, man, it, you know, the Lord is pointing it out. That was tough because it was at the same time that I'm feeling the, the shock of failure, yeah. you know, like we yeah. have given everything. And, um, and it was amazing because I got to the last chapter of the book and, uh, and, and want to go through it again. And it was like, it was the most life giving chapter because one of the things that he said is that God sometimes will clearly speak to you, call you into something, yeah. give you the grace to start it. And then lets you yeah. do it. And if you mess up, he lets you mess up. And when you and when you fail, it's a part of him discipling you. It's a part of him building. You want the character of Christ. He goes, "I've got to take you through this." Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you get to that point of of failure and an exhaustion and everything that just hits with that, and then it creates a desperation. Yeah. And and. I don't, I didn't need to read a book to go, I am completely dependent upon God. Like I've learned that lesson. I can't do what I do without God. But at the same time, I get back in the picture, Yeah. you know? And so it was like, it was fresh. Okay. If I needed to know any more about that, I know it. But, but he, but he says, Andrew Murray says that after that, you hit that wall of failure, it creates a hunger and a desperation and and dependence yeah and i was like yay because that's where i'm at i'm in this beginning of this fast as i read that last chapter i know i'm more desperate than i've ever been and that's when god shows up yeah. so i'm like i hope that's not like a long chapter i hope this part of the picture is now 
but I was like, I want to, I want to live here. I want to live in this desperation yeah. and awareness that I can't pick this back up. I can't carry this. I can't raise $3.1 million. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't move anybody to be a part of something that I know, I know it grew. This is the heart of God. Some of the stuff he's called us to like the, the knowledge that I have zero doubt. And I'm like, so why isn't it working? And the Lord's like, we got to remove the obstacles. We got to remove the generational curses. We got to remove all of self for for this to ever be. And so it's like, God's fine with the timetable. I'm like, but yeah. we needed this yesterday, God. Don't you understand that? He's like, no. I'll show you what you need. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the that's the that's the trajectory that I went to is like going through all those things, you know, dealing with the the rejection, dealing with the shame, the desperation, learning how to be vulnerable was a big breakthrough for me, um, and learning how to take responsibility for for my actions and, and my own mistakes, and then getting to a point where it's <clears throat> I no longer no longer real, I no longer thought that I needed recognition or approval when that was. I mean, I had a really big revelation about value and about how our brain seeks dopamine and how dopamine's in everything. Dopamine's in every chemical addiction. It's an addiction to dopamine. It's not, a, it's a long story. I'll tell you another time, but I had an encounter with Jesus with a friend of mine, uh, over a friend of mine who told me he struggles with pornography and Jesus appeared to me in like an open vision. I was sitting on a chair on the, my mom's back porch at her house and I had my eyes closed, but I could see through my eyes. I know I try to stay authentic about this stuff because I know how crazy that sounds, but Jesus showed up in on the back porch and I think it was Jesus. I could see nothing in his face but light. And he spoke and said, your friend, he said him by name, your friend doesn't struggle with pornography. And I said, do you not? Hear what my prayer was just that hey my friend struggles with pornography and his first response is your friend doesn't struggle with pornography your friend is addicted to dopamine mm. and i said what is that because i had no idea at the time he said dopamine's his drug pornography's his dealer that was what jesus said to me at least i think it could have been my head i don't know <laughs> I, I told you i try to stay authentic about this stuff um, and i started researching it i started researching dopamine like Every behavioral addiction that you can classify that is classified in, in yeah. the, the addiction manual is, is there are studies found where it is directly correlated with dopamine release in the mm-hmm. brain. So we get to another point is why do we want dopamine so much? Why does our brain crave dopamine? Dopamine is the neuro, neurotransmitter in our brain that is released to tell us we are valued. It gives you the feeling, whether it's through reward or pleasure, it gives you the feeling of being valued. Wow. So what that says to me is if we all want to be valued, mm-hmm. our brain tricks us into going for the things that release the neurotransmitter in our brain to tell us that we're valued. Wow. Whether it's pornography, kleptomania, gossiping, you know, overeating, <sighs> sugar, <clears throat> nicotine, alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamines, all of them, every single one of them triggers dopamine, spikes dopamine in the brain. And that's our brain saying, when you feel a diminished value, do you remember how that you got that feeling when you did this, whether it was a behavior or, or a chemical, go back to do that. So anyway, having that revelation too helps me to pinpoint whenever I feel like I need recognition or I need approval. It's like, oh wait, I'm just feeling a diminished value and my value is in him. Mm, that's good. Yeah, that's, what I'll, that's the last thing I'll cool. say about that. That's, 
we'll have to have you back on for another podcast about that. But the the, the last question and probably the most important one is is Georgia gonna three P and what did, know, what, what did you think of that uh some people called it a football game. I don't, I don't no, know. No, that I... was a joke. The the real the real national title was Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yep, yeah. that was the real one, and and uh, we probably didn't deserve to win that, like Kirby Smart said. But um, we're we're now going to talk about things that half your audience is going to check out on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and uh, you can find Daniel Cole Dodd on uh, Facebook and the Kingdom Collective. So, yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely.